In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about the middle place. The middle place is a term I picked up from the writer Kelly Corrigan. She says it's about being a daughter and a caregiver to a parent. It's also about being caught between being a patient yourself and a caregiver. It's about needing love and nurturing while at the same time being that for a parent. It's a weird middle place. Listeners of this podcast will know that I have experience with this place myself. I was just two years out from my diagnosis when my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. When I was diagnosed with breast cancer, my dad also found himself in a middle place. He was young when he watched his own mother go through breast cancer. Later on, he saw metastatic breast cancer return and take her life. Then he saw breast cancer arrive in his own daughter's life. We never really arrive at a cancer diagnosis with a completely blank slate. My guest today is Megan Claire Chase, and she knows what I'm talking about. Megs, as she sometimes goes by, was diagnosed with lobular breast cancer at 39 after watching her mom go through her own cancer. And in fact, her mom was still very much in need of caregiving when Megs was diagnosed. And this led to some hard truths, as we will soon hear. Welcome to the burn, Megan Claire. Hello. Thank you so much. Hello, April. So nice to have you here. I'm pleased as punch to be here, but also really thrilled to share my story. Absolutely. And I want to give a little hello to Nathan. I think we might be hearing him in the background. So hello to your kitty cat, too. Uh, yes, uh, Nathan. Um, he's like a, a baby. He's up from his nap time and he's a talker, kind of like his mama. So <laughs> just be prepared that that is not a baby. It is a cat. <laughs> No problem. We'll hear some stories from both of you guys today. So let me tell everyone why you're here. You are going to be reading a piece that you wrote for our caregivers issue some time ago. This was 2018 that we published this issue, and it was an issue in which we explored times when we are caregivers ourselves, we honored those that cared for us, and overall just put a spotlight on a piece of cancer fighting that sometimes gets a little bit forgotten and left behind. And I am particularly interested in having your story today because of what I just described, that middle place, that place where we become both a caregiver, cancer fighter, daughter, like all the things. So I'm excited to be here with you today, and I would love to turn the mic over to you and have you read the story you wrote called When Cancer Worlds Collide. 
Yes, thank you so much. I have to say it's strange. I went through breast cancer and my mother has been battling her second cancer for years. Understanding what her oncologist is saying to her is almost as scary as not understanding. She's on this new chemo infusion that is kicking her butt. Knowing all we've been through scares me. My mother hasn't been this weak since her back surgery last year. I truly despise cancer and what it has done to us physically and to our relationship. My mother battled her first cancer, ovarian, when she was pregnant with me. She had an amazing oncologist who tried an experimental treatment, which is why she is still alive. Fast forward to 1997, my sophomore year at the College of St. Rose in Albany, New York. That's when I found out my mother had a second cancer. This time it was a blood cancer, essential thrombocythemia, ET. It is a rare chronic blood cancer in which a person's bone marrow makes too many platelets, also known as thrombocytes. She tried to protect me by hiding it, but I knew something was wrong. I felt like my world had come crashing down. I'm an only child of divorced parents who don't speak to each other. I immediately felt very heavy. She's all I have. She's my rock. At that time, my mother continued being protective of me and was determined that I live my life. I graduated from college and moved to Los Angeles, California. I was determined to spread my wings far and wide, and my mother was, and has always been, completely supportive. What she didn't know is that I had spies reporting back to me on her health, since I knew she wouldn't tell me what, I, what was really going on a whole coast away. Thanks to my spies, I learned that because of the cancer, she had, she had major surgery to remove her spleen and gallbladder. I came home for Thanksgiving in 2002. My mother's biracial, but she was even paler than usual that day. Right away, I knew I would move back to Georgia to be closer to her. She never asked me to give up my life in LA, but I made the decision to move back in February 2003. Let's be clear though, I did not move in with her. I moved just a few hours away from her. It's hard being a caregiver to someone who never wants to ask for help. My mother is a strong and brilliant woman. I respect that wholeheartedly. Those qualities also make it difficult to really be there for her emotionally. She didn't want it. Before she medically retired, she went to Kabul, Afghanistan for a year in 2013 as a gender human rights advisor for the vulnerable population of women and children. That was a wreck. Now I know what military families go through when a loved one is in a war zone. Add cancer into the mix and I was even more anxious and afraid. My mother's oncologist in Georgia found an oncologist in Germany who could refill her oral chemo and take her scans every three months while she was away. I admired that she didn't let cancer treatment stop her from living her dream, but it was deeply frustrating and scary to not be part of that decision. Fast forward to September 2015. 
I was officially diagnosed with stage 2A invasive lobular breast cancer at 39 years old. In my mind, I can no longer be a caregiver because I was now a cancer patient myself, about to face some truly grueling treatments and battling for my own life. I thought my mother would be able to relate and help me. That wasn't the case. I drove us to all my chemo treatments and doctor appointments, and I continue to carry a lot of anger about that time, which she knows. I remember the first time I walked into the infusion center, mother and daughter, cancer patients. I expected support. I expected my mother to show up and bring me comfort. Instead, we would often fight and get to the point where my infusion nurse would ask my mother to sit in the waiting room for a bit because my stress levels were rising dangerously. When I asked her why she refused to learn how to get to and from the Cancer Institute for my treatments, she said she needed me to tell her each time because she wasn't good with directions. What I couldn't comprehend is that she understands the utter fatigue from chemo and so should appreciate that I didn't have the energy to tell her every single time how to get to and from the cancer center. In February 2017, I had a bilateral salpingo oophorectomy and hysterectomy because my medical team felt I should be medically induced into menopause. The post-treatments for premenopause weren't working for my system. At that exact same time, my mother hurt her back, and within six months, she had major back surgery. It was a very tedious and tricky surgery because she is allergic to every single known pain medication. The pain following the surgery was excruciating. They had to take her off her oral chemo for three months because her system couldn't handle that kind of pain on top of the chemo side effects. I was not even close to being fully healed from my own major surgery or even from my whole breast cancer battle. Nevertheless, I was driving almost every day to her, bringing in her mail, emptying her garbage, developing a schedule for her friends from church to bring meals and communion to her. I had no help for my physical healing. I wasn't supposed to lift anything for three weeks. I needed rest and time. I needed my mother. Caregiving for my mother is physically and emotionally draining, especially as I still need not just my mother, but my own caregiver. I love her unconditionally, and I wouldn't wish this on anyone. My mother is 70 years old now. She's a brilliant and difficult personality. I make her show me her lab results because I understand everything due to my own cancer experience. She is physically the weakest I have ever seen her since the back surgery. We're hoping her body will respond now that she's had three new chemo infusions. Our cancer worlds continue to collide. Mm. Megan Claire, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for reading that story. Thank you for um, giving me a platform to voice it. I've never read it out loud to anyone else before. So um, definitely a lot of a lot of emotions. Yes. Well, we will unpack some of those emotions, hopefully all of them for you, but I'm not sure if we will get to all of them. But let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll really get into it. 
My name is Angela Furman. I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer when I was 33. And during my treatment, I had started writing a lot to try to heal and find meaning in my experience. And when I found wildfire, I just felt seen. And the beautiful and personal stories made me feel safe and emboldened to share my own story. And through being published and writing alongside other women, I've gained so much confidence in my writing and in sharing my story. And probably most importantly, Wildfire has allowed me to connect with other women who have inspired me and encouraged me, and I know they will be lifelong friends. Thank you so much for the love, Angela. All right. Welcome back, Megs. Again, thank you so much for reading that story. And I love that you shared just before the break that it was your first time reading it out loud. So I want to ask you, how was that experience? And then also, can you give us an update? Because it's been a few years. Yeah, it um, it has been a few years. Well, I've never read this piece out loud um, for anyone else to hear. Um, Often when I write, I always read it out loud just to hear how it flows before I submit it anywhere. But I've never shared this story in this way by reading it out loud. So, um, oh, my mother, I call her little mother because she's barely five feet tall. (laughs) Um, She... I would have to say she was in a clinical trial. Um, unfortunately, that uh, those medications were just not working. And so her her medical team is still quite frustrated and uh, they just don't really know how to treat her cancer. So she's still going every week to the cancer center. But as long as she's still snarky, I know <laughs> she'll be okay. Um, but she's... The fatigue is really like it's kicking her butt even more than it did a few years ago. So that's a big, big change. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. And I got the impression from your story. So correct me if I'm wrong, but your mom knows you wrote this story and she have you read it to her? Has she read it? Um, No, Uh, she likes to keep all that separate, but I did let her know that uh, I wrote about it and my anger. Um, We're very different in personalities. I mean, she's a Gemini. I'm literally a Cancer. Um, Yeah, you know, which is so crazy. But so she knows I have to get my feelings out uh, through the written word, uh, through the spoken word. Uh, So she's highly aware of that. And we've definitely worked to try and mend some of those uh, feelings. Because uh, she's still a difficult personality, but we are in a better place as mother and daughter since that time. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I'm sorry to hear that her um, her cancer experience is an ongoing one. And are you still her primary caregiver? I am. Yep. Um, but I feel more empowered to let her know that, you know what, I can't make it this weekend. I mean, we don't live that far from each other now. Um, She's only like a 20, 30 minute drive from me, but I've really felt empowered to say, Hey, you know what? I'm fatigued as well. So we'll just, I'll I'll just see you next week. We do talk every day, text every day anyway, 
but I've really learned to say no sometimes or, or not today. Mm, I, I love hearing that. That's great. So let's go back to something you just said um, a little bit ago about kind of processing through writing. And I'm really glad to hear that that's you, that's me as well. But your piece, I think, is so important because a lot of people find their relationships a little strained through the cancer experience. We are, you and I are talking right now during a pandemic and the pandemic has also really strained a lot of relationships just with people showing up or not showing up for each other in ways that are maybe less than what was expected. And you really touched on that, particularly with such a beautiful illustration of you having to literally give your mom directions every single time, despite how exhausted you were. Um, I'm trying to figure out what my question is in there. First, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing that and illustrating something that I think is very common. And second, I guess my question is, did writing this help? Did it, was it cathartic to get it out? You know, I remember when I was uh, writing for um, the caregivers issue, and I was trying to think of what I wanted to write about. And the words just flowed. And it was the first time I'd actually really processed um, the experience of being uh, a daughter. He was the caregiver. And then the daughter, he became the patient and still the caregiver. Um, I didn't really even know what was going to come out. And so when I wrote it, I just kept writing, no editing. I just kept writing and just seeing what came out on paper. And when I read it, I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that is heavy. Um, it was really heavy, but it also was a great release um, for me as well, because I can read it now um, and really have some perspective and seeing how much I've changed. Because even though I am in the survivorship stage, I did officially hit the five year mark um, last October of last year. I still have a lot of chronic health issues and still a lot of chronic pain. Like I still need a caregiver and I still don't um, necessarily have that. But I will say through writing that piece, it really let me know that I have always remained true to myself. Like the essence of me has always been creative and sensitive. And that doesn't mean I'm weak though. And if anything, that's what writing that out made me realize. I was like, I am stating my feelings. I'm being honest. I am frustrated, but I also knew that one day I would be able to release it. And that was how I was able to release that particular time. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. I think writing is such a powerful way of setting down those heavy feelings and thoughts. Even if you had never told your mom you wrote about that, it can help you make sense of it and then decide, okay, can I get what I need from this person or do I need to go elsewhere? I think for me, that was um, part of my writing about my relationship with my mom was realizing I couldn't keep demanding from her things she literally couldn't give me. She just, she wasn't withholding them maliciously. She didn't have them. Right, like the... The emotional capability, like 
because I'm an emotional person, but my mother is not. And that is just how she is. So when, just like you said, I, I was like, gosh, I wish she would do this. I wish she would do that. But I was like, she's incapable of it. It's not that I don't think that she doesn't want to. She's literally like, it just does not click in her head <laughs> that this is what I need. And her love language is different. Like for me, mine is very nurturing and uh, I'm affectionate, but her love language, you know, is okay. She'll make up snacks. She'll make snacks for me and bring that over or she'll buy one of my favorite movies or something like that. So that's her love language. Um, but I definitely, I really need that emotional Mm-hmm. kind of uh, love language. And unfortunately, um, she just doesn't have that. But I know she loves me unconditionally and is always there for me. So it's been some, it's been tricky as I tell her, you know, I'm going to teach you how to speak to me, mother. So like when I get upset, I'm going to need you to not be or sound condescending i'm gonna need you to say okay try and take a deep breath uh did you try and meditate so now she actually does that i mean it's taken years to get to this point but i recognize that she she now recognizes that i do need that and so though it's very very limited she at least can talk to me in a way when i'm upset that doesn't upset me even further so that's something that's huge. I think that's incredible. I love that you guys are continuing to evolve your relationship, particularly as you both continue to be in a medical relationship so much of the right. time as well. Do you have, I wonder if you have some advice for others in this area, because I think one of the I'm not going to say cornerstone. However, I think one of the hallmarks of being diagnosed young is that we, many of us in this community will find ourselves being both patient and caregiver as our parents continue to age or as people around us maybe develop other ailments. What advice would you have for moving back and forth between that patient, caregiver, mother, daughter, you know, friend, you guys are friends too. Yeah. Any advice there? You know, what I think is important to always recognize is that it is not being selfish to put yourself first, because I know as caregivers, it's always we want to put the, you know, the patient first. Well, when the patient is your mother, and then the caregiver is also a patient, (laughs) you have to really do a better balancing act, because if you go, go, go for them, and then you're not getting the help that you also need, and in the end, you're the one suffering, that's not good. So I really had to learn how to prioritize the asks. And then also, let I was very open with my mother. And I said, you know, we need some other people here. I said, because I can't, I cannot do all of this. And I said, you know, I would, I said, but I no longer have that physical strength. I no longer have that physical energy. Um, And so it was hard for her to lean on someone else. So I still take care of very certain things that she would not want anyone else like another stranger to do. But now she's more open to some other friends helping out. And that was a huge lift for me. But it was also just being very straightforward and saying, 
I'm, I'm really fatigued today. I just cannot, um, come over and help. Um, and that seemed to help a lot. So that would be my advice is to just be open, but also make sure that you put yourself first as well. And that is not being selfish. That is not taking away anything from, um, the, the patient, um, because you have to watch out for your own health as well, especially when you, if you don't have anyone else to help you when you're home, like me, like I'm single, uh, with my cat, Nathan, and I know he would help me if he could. Um, so those were some things I had to set up some very healthy boundaries and that was hard to do because of course you want to give it's your parents, you know, but you have to also be realistic and watch out for yourself as well. And that's not being selfish at all. No, I don't think it is either. And looking at your situation and the fact that this has become very long, you know, five years plus, and we tend to think of cancer fighting as being more acute, you know, and it's going to be hardcore and we're just going to put our heads down and we're going to get through it. But we know having been through it, that side effects linger, things go on, other things come up, sometimes cancer comes back. And so it can become that marathon. And if you don't take care of yourself, like you said, you have nothing to give to this person. So I, exactly. yeah, thank you for pointing that out. I also love that you urged your mom to become comfortable with having other help as well, because I, I can hear that voice in my head of parents being like, no, 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 you've got this. I want it to be you. You can do it all. Right. And right. You saying, actually, I cannot do it all is, <laughs> is good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it really has helped, I think, our relationship, um, because before I wouldn't do that, I would just do it all. And then I would grow resentful. And I was like, that's, that's unfair to me and to her. Um, so, um, it is still difficult though, because like you just said, April, the cancer experience, like it doesn't just end for some, some are able to get back to, um, how they were pre-cancer, but then there are others where, the permanent damage and the side effects and the late term side effects. And now all of these other health issues um, have come up that are now chronic and require constant maintenance. Um, it's a very, very long journey. And then the fact that I really understand lab work and it makes it, uh, it makes it very emotional and also draining because of understanding this and understanding that, gosh, my mother already had ovarian cancer. Now she's got this other cancer. You know, my maternal grandmother, her mother had cervical cancer and then ultimately died of lung cancer. So I'm just kind of almost waiting for the other mm -hmm. shoe to drop because it seems the immediate women in our family have, have either had at least one cancer or two cancers. So it's ongoing. Um, but I think that's why it's important to find ways to release a lot of the fear, um, frustration, um, and process things in a creative way. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, and, you know, some people are like, I'm not a writer, you know, I don't think I'm good enough to be a writer or whatever. And I'm like, 
you have something to say and what you have to say matters. And even if you write it for yourself, it is your story and you you deserve to like have that written down somewhere, whether you share it or not, it's totally up to, you know, you. Absolutely. Well, and not only that, but they, they wholeheartedly deserve to have that release and to set down those heavy feelings. And so, like you said, even if it's going to go nowhere else, but into that journal or maybe into the fire pit and be burned up, it's a release and everyone deserves to have that for Absolutely. sure. Yeah. Well, Megs, thank you so much for being here with me. I know you are writing all the time. Can you tell my listeners where they can find more of your stories and more about you? <laughs> yes. Um, so you can find me on my blog. It's called Life on the Cancer Train at Warrior Megsy, and that's M-E-G-S-I-E dot com, warriormegsy.com. And I also... Um, freelance for WebMD in their breast cancer section. So you can just go to uh, webmd.blogs um, slash Megan Claire or just WebMD, you know, Megan Claire, it'll pull up for you. And I've written um, a lot about my experiences with working through cancer. Um, a lot of the things I've already written about on my personal blog, and I've been able to kind of refresh them uh, in a different way for WebMD. And I'm all over social media too at Warrior Megzi for both Instagram and Twitter. Excellent, excellent. Well, again, my guest today has been Megan Claire Chase. She wrote her story When Cancer Worlds Collide for our August 2018 issue called Caregivers. You can find that in our archives. Thank you again so much. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn is a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay till the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat with Megs. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our more than 30 issues in the archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. We would love your testimonial and your reviews as well. Finally, here's today's writing prompt. As always, I want you to set your timer for eight minutes and write without stopping or editing so you can see what needs to come out. So the prompt is along the lines of the fact that there's a saying that goes, when one person in a family has cancer, the whole family has cancer. I know some in the wildfire community have found this to be true, while others have felt like it is stingingly untrue. They have felt let down by how their families have reacted or not reacted to their cancer. So I ask you, how has cancer affected the close relationships in your life? Who stepped up and who disappeared? What stories do you need to unpack there? To explore this, I want you to write two letters today. Whether you send them or not is up to you. Letter one will be a letter of gratitude to someone who really came through for you during your experience. And letter two will be to someone who let you down. Like I said, you don't have to send either letter, but writing it can be extremely helpful in terms of unburdening yourself from something you might be carrying. Eight minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. 
happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.